unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David Garfinkel, back again. I was scared to get back on the mic with you after last week's episode, but you twisted my arm and we are back. What are we going to be talking about today? Well, we're going to go in a very different direction from last time. Uh, You know, when I first started writing copy, it looked so easy because I was only looking at the finished product. I wasn't looking at how the sausage was made. When I first started writing copy, I'd been an award-winning journalist and I'd nabbed the San Francisco bureau chief job for a large news organization. Then I'd quit and I'd been wandering around figuring out what to do. And, oh, there's copywriting this stuff. That looks good. I thought it would be a breeze. Uh, It wasn't. That wasn't how it happened. Not at first. Copy looked very simple and straightforward to me. And on the surface, it looked a lot like writing news stories. And I was good at writing news stories fast. Now, the more I got into writing copy, the more I found differences that weren't obvious to me when I first started writing copy. And today we're going to talk about what I kept from journalism and what I threw away and why things that don't work, things that do, and how you can use the things that do. But first, I need to tell you something about copy, that copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. Most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims, and or if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health, finance, and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. Can I ask you a question real quick? Mm-hmm. What was it that uh, made you think that you could jump from doing journalistic to copywriting? What was, what was it that inspired that, uh, that, that leap of faith, I guess? Well, you know, I, I looked at it and, you know, I thought writing is writing. These are short sentences. They have a headline. They, you know, they're, um, they're, they're just dealing in short words. It's, it, it, it seemed like they were cousins and, you know, they're more like the Hatfields and the McCoys actually. <laughs> okay. Cause I, I find that too. I know a lot of people that are bloggers or people that, uh, write for, um, different, different established, uh, media journals. And a lot of them, the, the way that they write and, and the editing techniques are just completely inconsistent with what it takes to write good copy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so we can explore that today. All right, let's jump into it then. Okay. So let's talk about advantages that journalism has that a copywriter would like to have. Okay. First of all, despite all of the charges about fake news, which originally seems to have come from Moscow, by the way, um, even today, most journalism has high historical credibility. Now, this will be surprising, especially to people who don't like the media and distrust it and have all kinds of issues with it. But journalists do play by the rules. They have a set of rules that are unique to journalism, but most of them are consistent and they get fired pretty fast. They don't. And they also risk getting sued, possibly even going to jail if they don't. But the the thing about the journalistic process most people don't understand is because it needs to happen so fast, it's not 100% accurate. 
but it usually is as thorough and responsible as is humanly possible most of the time. And as a result of this high historical credibility, most people believe what they read in the paper, they see on TV. And as advertisers, as copywriters, marketers, we would like people to believe what we say too. So that's one advantage, okay? So there's something these days called native advertising online. It used to be called an advertorial. Like if you would open up a magazine, there'd be an article, and then there'd be an ad that looked like an article. We'd call that an advertorial. These days it's called native advertising on websites where ads, basically copy is being formatted to look like an ad. Um, I read Politico a lot, and there are uh, any number of, native advertising. They clearly market as such, but it's formatted exactly the same. And the advertiser and the publisher know the advantage of that. This is called borrowed credibility. Gene Schwartz talks about that in his book, Breakthrough Advertising. Now, point of clarification, my book is called Breakthrough Copywriting. His is called Breakthrough Advertising. And using the format of, of editorial um, presentation le- lends itself to more credibility. In fact, David Ogilvy said that five times greater readership occurs when it adds in an editorial format. That means five times as many people will read it. Okay. How does that apply to things like Magalogs? It, it applies exactly to them. When people get them, they say, hmm, looks like a magazine, um, reads like a magazine. I need to read this. Oh, this is on a topic that's interesting to me. And each each little article is slowly building a pitch and building a case. So that's exactly why they did them. Okay, awesome. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So here's another advantage of journalism. Facts make things believable. And journalists are trained to recognize and separate facts from opinions. Doesn't mean they leave opinions out. It means they know the difference. And opinions are different from bias. Uh, ben Shapiro. Uh, who is a pretty well-known conservative commentator from dailywire.com, was on Joe Rogan's podcast yesterday. And if you want to listen to a second podcast, I recommend that one. Um, Joe Rogan, incredible. Anyway, um, Ben Shapiro said, something can be true and biased. You can present raw facts that are true, and you can present them in a biased way. And for a reader, sometimes it's tricky to separate these things out, but... Nevertheless, a good journalist will confirm facts using the rules of journalism, and that makes stories believable. Makes them believable. Believable is the key word here. Being believable, being believed is every advertiser's problem and what every advertiser wants. That was pretty much how James Webb Young started his book, Diary of an Ad Man. He was an excellent writer about advertising as well as a very successful copywriter. So, just to to summarize, journalism has high historic credibility. You can borrow that credibility when you use a journalistic visual format. And when you borrow the technique of focusing on facts and presenting them in a way where you lead your reader where you want to go, that will help increase belief. Okay? Okay. And maybe this will get cut because it might be a slight divergence, but... uh what about the fact that there's blatantly obvious bias media in in different directions nowadays? Like there's media that can cover the same story, and one way they'll 
pick and choose what they decide <laughs> to cover to fit the narrative of their audience's preferences? Yeah, it's such a, a good question. I, I think that um, Ben Shapiro sort of answered it yesterday, so I'm going to paraphrase him. He says, Fox News watchers believe what Fox News says is true, and they share the bias with Fox News. MSNBC viewers believe what they see on MBC is MSNBC is true. They share those biases. Uh, CNN is shit out of luck. Uh, <laughs> no one believes them anymore. They claim to be in the center and they're not, they lean to the left. So I don't know. I, I don't know. But the point is, I think the point here is people do believe something and it's not just fanciful propaganda. It's something based on facts and then developed with a bias. Okay. So leave that in or not. I don't care. Um, okay. <laughs> so, all right. So, um, now let's talk about some journalistic techniques I learned. I thought would work that I now realize you shouldn't use in copy. And it's not that you shouldn't use them because they're evil or they're wrong. They're perfectly fine for journalists. They don't work for copy because they don't help you sell. That's the reason I'm talking at a technical effectiveness level here, not at a moral level. Okay. So one thing that journalists do is very big picture stuff. You know, um, the nation is feeling the loss today of pick anyone who died. Okay. In the big picture, Except for product reviews, most of what you'll find in a newspaper or on a website will not be suggesting that the reader do something like copy does. What you'll find on TV, on in newspapers, on the web, in the news business is more in the realm of entertainment and information. And sometimes it's more entertaining and sometimes it's more informative. And in almost all cases, that doesn't work in copy. You can't just entertain and inform because you need to sell too. Okay, so now let's drill down to some techniques you don't want to use specifically. One is to be entertaining and to be silly. From a business point of view, news stories and features are there to surround the ads in the paper because the newspaper makes money with the ads. So rarely is a news story designed to take a specific action to convince a reader to buy something because that would be competing with the way the newspaper makes money, which is ads, even though most of the ads aren't very good. That's beside the point. Um, so the, it, it's a form of intellectual entertainment in a way. And you don't want to do just that. In fact, you don't generally want to be entertaining unless it's to the purpose of advancing the sale, to use Dan Kennedy's great phrase. <clears throat> another, another technique not to use is impressionistic writing. It seems like mind reading. And as a copywriter, you need to base what you write on research and your own solid personal experience. Journalists have a license to write impressively um, he looked like he was extremely nervous as I walked into his office. His hands were twitching. Um, he was probably thinking about the impending indictments. Now, now, journalists can do that. They can get away with that. Don't 
that's again, that's entertainment. That's that's not going to advance a sale. Um, it will make your story entertaining, but it can backfire if you use the same technique and copy. People are going to be a lot more. They're going to cut the journalist a lot more slack in describing his or her personal impressions of a person or a situation than they would in copy. They're going to be a lot more skeptical about what you're writing. Okay. Um, can I get a little bit of clarification from you? Sure. So a while back we did and we did an episode on including people and personality into your copy. And it seems like maybe these two ideas are at odds with each other. Um, as far as like uh, adding people and personality and then at the same time not wanting to be impers- impressionistic, um, mm-hmm. h- how do you make the two ideas work together? Simple. Um, you describe actions and you describe quotes, words that they say. You don't describe your own interpretation of their emotions, your own guesses about what's on their mind your own extrapolations about them. You, you simply stay close to the ground and talk about what they do and what they say. Okay, awesome. Thank you. Sure. And then there's a third technique not to use that journalists use, and that is the inverted pyramid. I started getting trained in journalism at age 14. I went to a, a summer camp in Pontiac, Michigan, And um, the whole purpose of the camp was put together a page that would be published in the Pontiac Press. And from that that point and on through, you know, college training, reading, working on newspapers, working in magazines, there's something called the inverted pyramid. The inverted pyramid is a conceptual structure where you start with the big picture and you drill down to the minor details. Wikipedia's shorthand definition is communication of major details before minor details. So the the whole point, there, there are a couple of functional reasons they have an inverted pyramid um, where you start, you know, the nation is mourning the death today of blank and blank. And then you can go into detail who blank and blank was and you know, what this person said about him and what that person said about him and what their accomplishments were. If you only read the first paragraph, you'll know if you want to read the rest of the story and you can stop right there. The other thing is if another ad comes into the newspaper, they can replace three inches of copy with three inches of revenue generating advertising. So you can just print one paragraph as a full story. With, with copy, we don't want to do that. We want to keep them reading all the way to the end. So we don't ever want them to think, oh, well, I know what this is about. Fine. Uh, after one paragraph, that's not good. Okay? Mm-hmm. So basically, you don't want to bury the lead, but you also don't want to give away everything that pre- prevents them from continuing reading. Yes, that's right. And I'm going to talk about um, journalistic leads and show why they're they're different than copywriting leads a, a little later on. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, that's a giant point of confusion for a lot of people. So I can't wait for that part. Okay, cool. Hey, let me ask you something. How would you like a complete copywriting course packed into a $10 Kindle book? Yeah. 
then let me invite you to try Breakthrough Copywriting. It's only $10 and it's available now on Amazon as a Kindle. Breakthrough Copywriting was originally a $5,000 live seminar I held in Las Vegas. People flew in from all over the world to attend Breakthrough Copywriting. This Kindle book by the same name is a complete version of my four presentations at the seminar. If you would like to dig into copywriting basics or refresh the knowledge you already have, then you'll really like Breakthrough Copywriting. A-listers like John Carlton, Joe Sugarman, and Bob Bly give this book an A+, and you can read the reviews right on the Amazon site. This episode of the Copywriters Podcast is sponsored by Breakthrough Copywriting. Check this book out at Amazon.com today. And now, back to the Copywriters Podcast program, already in progress. So now let's talk about how journalists work in techniques that would work well for copywriters if adapted to copy. Okay. So the first thing is journalists do interviews. That's how they get their information. They will get their information from written sources, but it's mostly from interviews. An interview is talking to another person. An interview is not an online survey or a printed <laughs> survey. That's not an interview. Okay. It's different. And in some ways, I don't think it's as good. I know there are some people who are singing the praises of it and some people making a lot of money with it. And I'm not saying don't do it. I'm saying don't confuse that with an interview. An interview is an interactive conversation. You're asking questions, you're following up, you're seeking to understand. So if you're a freelance copywriter, you should interview the owner of the business you're writing copy for and or the founder and or whoever your client is. If you're a business owner or if you're a freelance copywriter, you should interview the team that developed the product or the inventor, if there is one inventor. Um, if it's an info product, you should interview the expert whose expertise the product was based on. You should interview customers, find out why they bought, what they liked, um, how they saw the product beforehand. Even if you're writing copy for the first time, maybe maybe the uh, the owner of the product, the marketer, made a few sales just with a blog post or or you know a few phone calls or something. And I believe that an interview may not yield as much raw data or as many um, certainty um, influencing statistics, but in, in, in actuality, it's much more powerful and it reveals a lot more truth than a survey especially if you can develop that rapport and keep asking questions and listen and build on what they're saying. One thing that uh, as a podcaster and as somebody who does interviews on podcasts, mm -hmm. um, I've noticed that if you do your podcast, like a survey where you're, where you email the guest in advance and you say, I'm going to ask you this, this, and this, you get much less interesting interviews and you, your interviews are they don't go nearly as deep as when you say, well, I'd kind of like to talk about these things, but uh, you follow up with um, questions and dig deeper. You're always going to get way closer to the truth of a situation than a survey where it you're kind of boxed in by how you're able to respond. Yeah, uh, that's very true. Also, people lie in surveys. Um, they're, they're not going to say things that they think they might be judged about, but if if you are accepting and non-judgmental and really listening, you'd be amazed. Well, you wouldn't be amazed because you do it. 
other people who are listening to this who haven't done it will be amazed at the things people will tell you. Awesome. So interviews over surveys every day. Yeah, and and surveys can be good for gathering initial information too. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying surveys are no good. I'm saying surveys are good, but they are limited in what they can do compared to what most people think they can do. Awesome. Thanks, David. Okay. Here's a thing that um, this is going to get a little ugly. So those of you who love your mothers, you can skip ahead a minute or two <laughs> if you don't want to hear this part. Journalists are taught to be very skeptical. One, one old, um, ugly old saying among journalists say, if your mother says she loves you, check it out. <laughs> okay. Now, how do you apply this as a copywriter? Well, you need to be a little more diplomatic. You don't want to come across like the prosecuting attorney or the hard-boiled detective or the hard-boiled reporter when you're investigating. But you do want to get to the bottom of things. Not so you can write negative copy about the product. You want to get to the bottom of things to know what you're working with so you'll know what are the strong points you want to emphasize. If there's a damaging admission you want to make about a flaw in a strategic way, you'll know what the flaw is and find the best possible way to present that. And also, you want to know what you're working with so you don't eventually get yourself or your client in trouble by including untrue things in your copy. Okay. And how much of that has to do with the fact that uh, people reading an advertisement are already skeptical as well? Um, maybe 100%. I'd okay. say 100%. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if if you start out skeptical also and, you know, you go in to do, you know, and as a copywriter, you you have mixed loyalties. You are the representative of the marketer, but you're also the representative of the consumer of the buyer you need to take their concerns into account you know and if you address them you'll actually make more sales yeah that's one of the things that i've noticed is by admitting who it's not for and admitting why it's not for that particular person the people that it is for they're that much more convinced yeah and also it's just common sense why would you want to sell something to someone who can't use it or who doesn't really um, appreciate it? You're only going to get the possibility of a negative review and a refund. And some people are such idiots that they'll charge it back when you have a refund policy. And that's going to hurt your rating with your merchant account. There's, you know, it, it is common sense, but some people are so sensitive. Can I use the word snowflakes on this podcast? <laughs> it's your podcast. There's such thank you. There's such snowflakes that I'm I'm not I'm talking about business owners, okay? That if anyone says anything negative about them or their business, they you know they go into a panic attack. Uh, that's very self defeating. It's it's much better to admit the flaws, and you know people tend to believe you more if you're telling them the whole story. Mm -hmm. All right, let's move on. Another thing that journalists do they quote sources and this is good but there is something you, you shouldn't do journalists have a rule a a process called on the record off the record on the record information can be attributed to a source off the record information 
can, I think, be published without attribution to the actual person, then there is an even deeper form of off the record called deep background where the journalist would promise to get that same information from someone else in off the record or on the record status sounds sounds kind of like a kid's game it's not it's it's deadly serious and so for a copywriter forget about off the record in terms of what you put in your copy if if you're going to quote somebody well people do this all right and and people will say, you know, a national expert who doesn't want to be identified says blah, blah, blah. But when you're saying making a claim about the product or you make a claim about a result somebody, or an experience someone had, you want to have their full permission to use it. You probably want to have a signed release to use it. You might even change their name, but you want to have all the legal factual backup in case one of those alphabet agencies comes a knock, knock knocking on your door. So you quote sources and quote with permission. Okay. Another thing journalists do is they always start with a hook in their lead, something to hook attention, something to make the reader want to read more if they should be so lucky as not to be uh, what would the word be? One up, replaced, preempted by advertising. Uh, the, their whole story gets printed or runs on TV or makes it on the website, whatever. So the the hook both presents enough information so that a reader can get everything they need in one paragraph, but it also makes the reader want to read more. And if journalists know if their lead sucks then their editor will probably kick it back to them or kill the story altogether. So they, they work hard under great time pressure to have an interesting lead. And I, I pulled a few leads from the web yesterday. Let me, let me just read them to you, and um, then we'll talk about them. Uh, any questions you have, and also I want to talk about how they wouldn't work so well in sales pitches. Okay, so here's one from the Associated Press. Dateline Chicago AP. By extracting Chicago money from a measure all Illinois public schools needed to get state funding this fall, Governor Bruce Rauner reignited an age old but divisive political strategy on a new front. Okay. Mm-hmm. Here's one from the Arizona Republic, which is a newspaper you may not have heard of, but it's, it's a good newspaper. Joshua Schwabenbauer was only 26 when he died in a tragic boating accident. His organs were donated and gave four people a second chance at life. The woman who received his heart, Adelia Harris, 24, met his family for the first time. Okay. That's pretty, uh, pretty emotional, pretty dramatic. Okay. Here's another one, and this one's especially for you, Nathan, because it's from your old industry, the music industry. Uh Uh-oh. This is from TMZ, you know, the gossip website. Romeo Santos not only ripped off a musician's song and released it as his own, but he didn't even bother to change the name, according to a new lawsuit. Nazim Guiti claims he wrote a tune in 2011 titled Eris Mia, and worked with a music producer and recording studio to mix and record the track and copyrighted the song in March 2014. Woo! Hot gossip, lots of conflict, lots of treachery. 
Lots of accusations, okay? And an all-too-common occurrence in the music industry. Of course, just lots of fun in that, in that biz. Okay, so let's talk about what I wrote. Not, not from the content, which is interesting to me. All three of those are interesting, although I have no idea what's going on in Chicago and Illinois. I can't understand that, but sounds like there's going to be a lot of schools that don't get their money. I can't tell, though. So these are all interesting leads about the schools, the organ donor, and the two battling musicians. Uh, and they're good for information and entertainment. But this is key. They're not good setups for a sales pitch. See, they grab attention and they make you want to keep reading. If you're interested in Illinois politics in the first one, if you like uplifting human interest stories in the second one, if you're interested in music and musicians in the third one. But what we need to do in copy is we also need to include a problem that the prospect has or a benefit that they want. And, and we need to make the entire copy about this problem, this benefit, the prospect's life, and how it's going to change. That's not what these stories are about. These are storytellers telling what happened. You need to do more than, than that in copy, of course, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, um, here's another thing that journalists do. And the nice German word zeitgeist in English, that's top of mind. But zeitgeist is a really good word to know. It means almost like you could reach up into the air and, and, and feel the, the prevailing thoughts and moods of the time. Journalists need to keep up to date on the news overall and sometimes refer to other things going on as a jumping off point in their story. I'll give you a hypothetical example for a story in the business section of the newspaper, or maybe it could be in a business magazine. Um, it could say, let's say it's the Olympics. Everyone's got the Olympics on their mind. There's Olympic fever in the air. And ABC company just comes out with its quarterly earnings. And their results are just fantastic. So the journalist might write, ABC company earned itself a gold medal in June for having the second best quarter in its 14-year history. Well, you know, the business didn't really earn a gold medal. It's it's a metaphor. It's it's a ref or an allusion. It's it's a reference to the Olympics, which is on everyone's mind. Now, let's let's put this in perspective, Nathan. Let's say you had a green thumb with all the vegetables in your garden. I don't even know if you have a garden, but we're going to pretend. And um, you had an info product for other home gardeners. Okay, so someone writing about you could start the copy. I don't know if they give out gold medals for gardening, but if they did, Nathan Fraser would easily get all of them. And I just found out he is ready to share his world-class gardening secrets with the public. You see how you could use that technique to make it a good lead for a sales piece, and it would tap into the top-of-mind thoughts about the Olympics. That's a handy technique to use. Yeah, you're piggybacking with what they're already thinking about and adding your message to it. A absolutely. That's really well stated. That's exactly what's going on here. Yeah. So those are, those are all my secrets. I have 
I've stripped myself bare. <laughs> Unfortunately, this is just an audio podcast. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> now I'm having visuals. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, you can't unthink that. I'm so sorry, Nathan. I really <laughs> shouldn't have said that. Um, one thing to cover before we're out of here, and that would be content marketing. I, I'd like to get your opinion on content marketing, where people kind of adopt some of the journalistic stuff as a way to pull people into their blog, as a way to pull people into um, their their video sales letters or whatever the case may be. Because um, I do see you kind of you kind of throughout the episode drew a line and said on one end this is journalistic on one end this is copy um but when we were talking about like magalogs and blog posts and video sales letters there does seem to be some merging going on what's your opinion about that and uh if if it's okay to do some merging what should people think or what should people keep in mind if they're going to employ uh, trying to use some journalistic aspects into their sales copy. Yeah, that, that's a really good question. So you, you, you covered a, a lot of different types of copy. I'll, I'll just focus on the content marketing. It it really is a, a third category that uh, overlaps both journalism and marketing. The key thing not to get carried away with is don't make it so full of information that's only entertaining or only fascinating if it's not entertaining that doesn't really have much to do with ultimately what you're trying to market what you're trying to sell um don't get too carried away with that and and, and yeah you can use a news lead you can use a feature lead those are you know two types of of leads in, in a sentence but the main thing is with content marketing you're providing an act of service to the reader, perhaps more so than the journalist does. The journalist believes, and in some cases I think this is true, and in some cases I think they're full of it, um, that they are doing a service to the readers and to the public by reporting news. When you're doing content marketing, you want to narrow the scope of the goodness of what you're doing to offering service to people in the realm of the the world of the product, where the world of the product and the world of the customer overlap. So you don't wanna use your content marketing as an excuse to show off your writing chops or to go down a rabbit trail if you want it to be effective. Okay, does, does that help? Yeah, so your content should still help push towards the sale, but um, the sales page and the blog post definitely have different rules. Sure. And if overall, if your business is based on an attitude of providing service, you can look at it this way, the product or the, you know, delivering service and value, the product or the service that you offer are the big payday for the customer. That's that's where they get the most service from you. That's where they get the most value, the most support in their life, the greatest amount of transformation, uh, healing, um, uh, strengthening, uh, whatever whatever value you provide is. The content is where they receive little samples of that service, little samples of that value, little samples of that utility. 
Awesome. David, as always, another fantastic episode. Thank you, copywriters out there. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time. See you next time. If you found this show valuable and you'd like to get it in the ears of other people, the best way to do that is to subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes.